0: Okay, well, time to be serious. Actually, we are going to make some fun of ourselves tonight, but we almost start there. Uh, um, I want to ask you a question, and I want to bring you back to where we left off last week. Last week, I was challenging, and I hope I was challenging you to sit in this meeting in awe of God. Um, because he's big and he's massive and, and, and he is eternal and he is all powerful and so that's why I wanted to start tonight with that video that video you know the, the quality probably wasn't the greatest there were was, was some things that I, I would have hoped would have made you laugh a little bit the little guy, the little lizard running and wobbling uh, with the fins uh. but, but it showed just how vast God's creation is. But also, did you notice the water drop with the little things floating right around on the side of it? it showed you how detailed and my it goes. I mean, it is eternal, really, to two strength I mean it's, it's it goes both ways. And and so as I had thought about that, I mean I, I can't tell you, I was I was blessed to go this week to David Crowder uh, concert with some of our youth, and actually they had some friends come along, so it made it a really good time. But as I stood there and I listened to this guy and watched him play, there was it, it was different than just your average concert. I mean, I've been to rock concerts, I've been to I've been to see people uh, who were put on a show, but there was something just totally different, something so real as this guy sung praises to God. I was moved by it. I was touched by it. I mean, I was excited in a way that, I mean, I. I, I, I what about Lucy? Trying to lose you, pop. Amen. Uh, Jackson. Jackson laughing. Jason saw me. Uh, I mean, it was good. But I'll tell you why I was ready to pop. Because for two weeks now, really longer than this, but really for two weeks, I had been so intent upon looking at the majesty and the, and the awesomeness of this God who saved us. And I I, I don't have words to put it in. I I can't can't say enough. But I mean, I'm telling you, I, I think that this is where our Christian culture in America misses. We have forgotten how good and how amazing and how awesome this God who created us is just in his creation, but in his relationship with us personally, and what he's done for us, and what he's continuing to do in us, and how he's changing and transforming. You know, this just is, it's not, a, it's not a, just a, a lesson like you get it at school, you know, you go into school and you get this lesson, and okay, you learn some things, and then you have some knowledge. This is something that, that reaches to the innermost part of your life. To the depths of your soul, and transformed you. And that's really the focus of what we'll be talking about tonight. So I want to set up the passage before we get to it. And and, and, bring, and try to bring you back to where we left off. Now, I want to remind you, Jesus has, has begun His earthly ministry. He has worked some miracles. He's, he's um, come into Jerusalem for the Passover. And as he's there, he works some more miracles and, and really starts off his ministry in Jerusalem by going into the temple and just going nuts on. Him. Let them have it. Get out, get out of the temple, you're, you're messing my father's house up. This is not what it was intended for. Um, and then he begins to do some works and some miraculous signs, and people believe in him because of it. And one of those believers we began to look at last week, one of those believers was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him in response to what he sees Jesus doing. And so that's why I feel like, as we begin to look at John chapter 3, that's why I feel like it's so important for us to understand this awesomeness and this, and this amazing God because this is really where Nicodemus is coming to this lesson of the gospel. Nicodemus has, has been seeing Jesus. Now, Remember, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is a, a ruler on the Sanhedrin. On He's one of the Rulers on the Jewish council and, and so they have been looking for a Messiah for a long time. There's been no prophets. There, you know, God had, at least in their perspective, God has been quiet for about four hundred years. Um, and, and so they they they're looking for this Messiah, they're waiting on God to speak, they're waiting on, on something to happen and, and here's Jesus come on the scene. And he begins to work in these amazing ways and and, and deaf people are made to hear, lame people are made to walk, blind people are made to see, sick people are made well. And these these things are happening and Nicodemus is just struck in awe by it. And I said this last week and I'll say it again this week, if I could heal somebody's broken leg right now or a broken arm, that could you a sense of what these people are experiencing. That's not a gift guys give me. You know, I mean, maybe one day I'll able to walk up to some guys laying on a mat and say, let's walk and you know if I can do that, that'd be great. I mean I'd be, well, I can go on the road, make a lot of money. But I'm um, probably probably not gonna do that. So anyway, but, but that would give you an idea of what Nick Dimas, what world he's in right now. And so since we don't have that, since we don't have that, I, last week I encouraged you guys to stop and think about all the that God's done. I mean I, I challenged you with, with how big the creation was. I, I challenged you with how small it was and, or how small it was. And and then I, I, I got you to think about the emotions and, and you guys that were here, do you remember looking at one another, turning and looking at your neighbor? How many of you felt a little awkward doing that? Felt a little weird. There's not you know, there's only about half of us that were here last week. But there's something that happens when people look at one another in the eye, and in fact you're going to get the opportunity to do it again tonight, just so that uh, everybody will be able to experience it. There's something that happens that feels kind of it's kind of strange and kinda of weird, but, but ultimately all of that to say, hey, this has got to work. This is God enabling you to be a person, this is God who, who has created you so that you can have emotion. He's, he's created created you in such a way that your your eyeballs do what they need to do to see. Created you in such a way that your hands can pick things up, and so that's the God that we're worshiping, and that's the God of the gospel, and so that's where we need to come to this passage. So we'll pick up our story, it's John chapter three, and we're going to read in verses three through verses ten tonight. In reply, I declared, or I'm sorry, let me start over. I didn't declare. I declare. <laughs> it replied, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? this asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And that's actually the verse. We're going to stop there. Now, <clears throat> we talked about who Nicodemus is. We talked about that he's a Pharisee, and he's uh, a ruler, and, and He is expected, really, and you'll see this in a few verses, but he's expected to really know these things. And Jesus tells him, hey, you should be surprised about this stuff. But I think there's a big reason why he is surprised about this stuff. And ultimately, the the, the topic that Jesus is dealing with is regeneration. We call it regeneration. He's he's referring to it as being born again. And and so Nicodemus, the the picture that he forms in his mind is just crazy. I mean, picture that. How can a month have the man get back into his mother's womb? Well, that's really. Okay, I guess you guys are with me there, but
1: I've got this picture
0: in my mind. It's pretty grotesque, really. And that's what he's picturing. That's what he's thinking. And so I don't, I don't think you should be ashamed of, of thinking that way because that's what he did. But anyway, so being born again. It's something that Jesus knew that Nicodemus needed. And I want you to think about this. Nicodemus introduces himself in verses 1 and 2. He says, I know who you are. You're a great teacher. And Jesus replied to a question that Nicodemus never asked. And I struggled with that over the last couple of weeks trying to figure out why would Jesus say this? Why would Jesus come off with the very first thing he says to Nicodemus? Without being born again, man's not going really to see the kingdom of God. Well, I think that the context, and I, I, you know, I went back and forth on a lot of things, but I think the context really tells it all to us, because if you step back just a couple of verses, you see that in in chapter two at the very end it says that while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the rank assigned he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to him, for he knew all men. So, what I think is happening here is that Nicodemus is coming to him, probably already got some intent in mind, some, some thing that he comes to him and wants to be taught. And, and whether Jesus is addressing that particular issue or not, Jesus knows what Nicodemus needs to hear. Jesus knows who he is, what he's about, and he knows that this guy needs to understand that he, he needs to understand what it is or how it is that a person comes to be in the kingdom of God. And ultimately, that issue of being born again or regeneration is really the focus of what this passage is about. You see, not only does Nicodemus need to know and understand it, but so do we. And if you're sitting here tonight and you claim Christianity, which I know all of you, and I know you do, you need to understand this issue. We've talked about it a little bit in the past and in the last... Few weeks, but but we're going to deal with, this, with it very specifically tonight. Being born again is God's word. Being born again is God's word. Now, it, it says in verse verse six, it says this: It says, "Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit." Now, so ultimately, what is What does that mean? What is it about? Well, that's what we're going to break up. That's what we're going to try and understand. That's what we're going to try and pick apart tonight. So, ultimately, I'll just say, I've got volumes of books this thick on soteriology and the the theology of salvation and what regeneration is and being born again is, And I'm going to try and wrap it up in about 30 minutes. Now, you guys know that I probably won't have about 30 minutes, but it'll be be pretty close. But this is God's work and he does it and and the reality is is that it's something beyond us that we can't do. And so, I'm going to ask a question and I think that probably this applies to more than just the person the question is asked about. Why does David Amos find it so hard to believe? I mean, two times in this passage we see him say how can this be? How can it be that a man has to be born again? How can it be that he has to climb into his mother's womb? I don't get it. I don't understand. It. And so why is it so difficult for him to get? And I think the secret of that is the fact that who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. They worked for their righteousness. They, they had laws that protected them from breaking laws. They were like the hyper-legalists. They they. In fact, let me just share some with you. That will be the easiest way to say it. And you'll, you'll get the gist. These are pretty fair laws that, that these people sought to obey. A woman could have looked into the mirror on, on the Sabbath in case she saw gray hair and was tempted to pluck it. That's a fair-safe law. You can't look into the looking glass on the Sabbath because if you saw a gray hair, you want to pluck it and you can't pluck a hair on the Sabbath. Because that would be worse. Vinegar. I, now, I'm just glad my parents never gave me vinegar to get over an illness. But vinegar was used in this time for uh, dealing with, with, with illnesses. And vinegar, taken for an illness, could be garbled, but not swallowed. Here's a good one. An egg laid on the Sabbath could be eaten only if the chicken was intended to be killed the next day because you couldn't kill the chicken on the sabbath because that would be work but the chicken should have never laid the egg on the sabbath so it had to die if you ate if you ate it that's the truth that was their loss the pharisees they, they, they weren't all wrong. they weren't all messed up <clears throat> and they didn't they didn't miss it all they got something right you know i mean, every you down in a blind store we'll find that right they were right about the past increase. they were right about man's moral responsibility they were right about immortality that the sadducees on the other hand another sect of the jews didn't didn't believe in the resurrection of the body but the the uh, pharisees were right about the resurrection of the body so there were some things that got right but the biggest problem was was that everything about religion was external everything was about what they could do and how they could do it they externalized everything about religion Matthew chapter 23 I don't have these verses for you but I'm going to read them and I just want you to listen to them Jesus is pretty hard on the Pharisees ultimately because having the truth and, and, and having the, the Old Testament you know that there was a responsibility for them to see it but Anyway, he comes to Matthew chapter 23 and, and, and ultimately he's going to deal with it very seriously, very intentionally. And he says to this, says this to the, Woe to you, teachers of the law of the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, meant they'll come, but have neglected the more important matters of the law: of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. They were so intent. on on making sure that they were appearing to be righteous and doing these physical things, that they were missing out on the things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Things that come from the inside. He continues to say in verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the covenant dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean in the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. You see, the idea was, was that you guys are just shells. You look clean on the inside on the outside, but you're all dirty on the inside. But, but the reality is, is that what's on the inside makes for what's on the outside. And, and so because they were dirty on the inside, it didn't matter what they did on the outside, because they were still all screwed up. He goes on to say, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You see, this is the people that Nicodemus came from. This is the people that that Nicodemus learned from, who he he grew up being taught by. And and really, the danger is is that the same thing can happen right here. In fact, without even trying very hard, I mean, look at our churches today and see the same thing beginning to happen. And so, in, in, in an effort to do this lightly and make a little fun, Uh, out of it, but try to make a serious point, I I, I was emailed a couple weeks ago, I was emailed some cartoons, and unfortunately some of them get pretty close to home, but they demonstrate that sometimes our churches are more about religion than they are about the God who created them to save them. And so let's just go through them. Here's the first one woman on the phone. They're putting courses in hymn books and projecting hymns onto the screen. It's getting so I can't remember what I'm not supposed to like. Get it? Oh, come on. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next one. I don't like this one. If this has never happened to you, well, you're lying. Oh, God, here comes Bob. I told him I'd pray for him. Dear God, help Bob Hey, Bob, I praying for you. There you go, you listen up. Keep going. And this petitioner requests changing sinner to a person who is morally challenged. That's about right. Okay, keep going. Oh man, I can't read that. Oh (laughs) this is a good one. This that was our contemporary service. Next is our classical service, and then we have a a uh, relaxed service with a sports emphasis. <laughs> Man, These didn't turn out at all. Amen on one side, Hallelujah leaves on the other, and preach It brothers upstairs. And then there's also a clapping and non-clapping section. I've stopped expecting you to make leaps of faith. It would be nice, though, if, to see a hop every now and then. Lord, I lay before you the prayer concerns mentioned this morning, even though most of them sounded like whining to me. <laughs> the whole church watched with nervous anticipation as the visitors sat where the Martins have sat for 42 years. No. Ways to grow our Sunday school class. Coffee, more coffee, better coffee. (laughs) Any more ideas? Amen. (laughs) (laughs) More coffee. Okay, you got the big church and the little church. Half as big, twice as righteous. (laughs) Great message on patience, Pastor. I love the way you illustrated by telling those kids to sit down and shut up. Our growth consultant thinks the term church sounds outdated. Down the street, where faith can <laughs> speak. So, well, those are funny. who sits in the same place every week and they can't worship from another spot in the church. Or the old lady on the phone who, and this isn't directly the old lady in particular, but the old lady on the phone who, I'm not sure what song's not to like anymore. They're getting them all mixed up. Or, I don't want to be offensive and talk about sin, so let's figure out another way to talk about the morally challenged. And, and you know, I totally totally understand wanting to package things in a way that you can present them to the people. But the truth is the truth. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is something not only that we need to totally understand, that we need to get hold of, but it's a matter of life and death. This, really, is the hinge pin. And I I don't want to say the hinge pin, but this really, this is where it begins when you speak about salvation. This is, this is where life really comes from. You see, in our culture, we like to talk about saying these prayers and um, confessing these sins and repenting and don't hear me saying anything against that because the Bible speaks of those things. But if you teach a person to do that and you can talk them into doing it, if God doesn't regenerate their soul, they're as dead as they are work because life comes at this point. You must be born again. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it carefully. And some of you may want to just say that's just a bunch of junk. If you fill a church full of people who have confessed and repented on the outside but have never been regenerated on the inside, that's what you're going to get. There is a difference between a person who's a Christian on the outside and a person who has been made alive by God. Because he regenerates. Not based on what we do, not based on any works that we can perform, but because he regenerates. And that's what Jesus says. And that is a scary and uncomfortable things for us to think about, because ultimately, because we're out of control of it all of a sudden. Because we don't have a prescription for it. Because we don't have any way to to make it happen. God brings life out of death. Not based on what we do, but based on who He is. Listen to it again. In John chapter 3, Listen to it again. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Listen to John chapter 1. We've already gone through this passage. John chapter 1 verse 13 says this. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Ezekiel chapter thirty-six, verse twenty-six says this: Then the nations around you, I'm oh, sorry, the verse. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. First Peter one thirteen. Just happens to be my favorite book of the Bible. Matthew 113, 1-3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. You hear that? Not because you did these things, not because you followed this prescription, not... Because you've done these good works, but in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In his great mercy, if you're alive today, it's not because you said a sinner's prayer or confessed some sin or followed some rule, some prescription for salvation. It's because God made you. To be alive. You were dead. And now, because of what he's done, you're alive. Tough truth. Tough thing to deal with. Hope. And and, and as I said, I I wish we we had two or three hours to go over this, but we don't. But, But being born again, you must understand this, is not our work. It's God's. But being born again is mankind's greatest need. You need it more than anything. Think of the things that you think you need. Let's 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 name off some things you need. We need water, coffee, water, food, air, air. Air. Pay taxes. Man, we need to pay our taxes. Say it again. Clothing. Clothing. Some of us need it more than others. I, I guess we all need it to say, but some of you want us to have it more, others. Right? Shelter. Shelter means shelter. Those are all primary needs that we have to have, right? I mean, the basic necessities of life, we want them, we, we want, or, or, or we feel like if we don't eat, we're going to starve to death. If we don't drink water, we're going to dry up, just going you know, look like prunes and then eventually die. If we don't have air breathe, obviously we'll suffocate. So some basic necessities of life. But, but unfortunately, in this life, we forget just about our basic needs, and we've got all these things we think we need. I'll give you an example. At work, you know, I'm an aircraft mechanic, at work, there, there are just a thousand jobs that happen all the time. You know, every week there's just a hundred things going on. It's just crazy. And every day, without fail, something will happen, and somebody will say, we just can't do this. We need this. But in reality, they have to can't of us <laughs> Then we had to figure out a way to do it without what they think they need. You see, and I, I say that in jest, but ultimately, there are a lot of things in this world that we think we need. I don't know if this is true or not, but I don't, I, I don't think that certain people would feel comfortable. Actually, I know this is true for some. I don't think there. I think there's certain people, maybe even in this room, that feel like they have to have a cell phone. You don't need a cell phone, and ultimately they have all these reasons why they need a cell phone. But why aren't they? That people got by without a cell phone. How about cable television? I need cable television. I've been living with it for how how long? I don't talk my internet rid of TVs because that's, I don't that's not going to happen. you got to have a TV. You see what I'm saying? So so there's some things, and, and i bring this all together, and ultimately because I want you to see that there's something that trumps them all. It doesn't matter what it is you think you need, whether it's a real primary need or some perceived need, the reality is that there's one need that you need more than anything, and that's life from above, or to be born again. Because all of these other things fade and they go away. You know, I don't know what life's going to be like when, when his body's resu- resurrected and in heaven. I don't know if we'll still be breathing air like we do now or if we're still going to be eating food for nourishment like we do now. I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure about that. I know that there's a lot of people with ideas of what's going to happen. But until I get there, I won't say for sure. But I know for a fact that i'm not going to get there unless i've been born again unless i've been given life that's what jesus says jesus says he's he says in john chapter 3 again he says no one can see the kingdom of god unless he is born again i tell you the truth no one can enter the kingdom of god unless he is born of water and the spirit no one can see the kingdom of god nobody can get into heaven what's the kingdom of god well that's another huge topic that we've talked about for a long time, but the reality is is that the kingdom of God is the area, and not so much that it's tied to a specific geographical location, but it's God's area of rule. And ultimately, what is that? There's nothing that's outside of his rule, but there's certain places that he rules in particular. The church Is a part of the kingdom of God. Heaven is a part of the kingdom of God. You, as believers, as people who have been made alive, are a part of the kingdom of God. But nobody can get there or be a part of it if they're not regenerated, if they're not born again. And so, It's our greatest need. Now, right now, there's something happening that feels kind of strange. <laughs> and whether that's... <laughs> there's a sense of emotion that comes with connecting with somebody on a level like that. And I, I hope that it's not bad emotion. Um, I had a conversation with somebody in the last week that said that there was a sense that there, there was something deeper than just just uh, looking at one another's so eyes. There was something going on. But you know, you can't put your hands on that. You can't hold it. You can't put it in a bottle. You can't even see it. But the reality is, is it's there. It, did you guys feel it? Or am I just nuts? Both. Oh, okay, maybe I am nuts. But you
1: felt it. trying to explain
0: that. Can you explain it? Huh. Not totally. You know, if you were a psychologist, you could go into all these, all these things and, and examine it and, 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 and package it up and, and put big words around it. But the reality is that you can't get to where it's happening. Man. You can't get down to the depths of a person's soul and, and where their personality really resides and understand what makes all that. Happen. You can't. Serious. But you know for a fact now that it happens. Jesus used the, the illustration of the wind. Where the wind goes and where it comes from, nobody really knows, but you know and can see its effects. You can see it happening all around you. As the wind blows, you can see the leaves on the tree's food. You can see the dirt picked up off the side of the road. But where does it come from? And where does it come from? Uh, we've got some pretty cool technological advances that make it possible so that you can set up all of these different meters and they can see how fast it's going. And you can see what direction it's going in. But really what it starts it off, what makes it new? Where does it go? but it's very true. And the kingdom of God is just like that. there's, There's all kinds of terms that I can give you a place on it. There's all kinds of explanations I can try to give you. But what I want you to understand is that it's extremely mysterious and it's not something that's solid. It's something that you can put your hand on. And it's not a place that you can climb onto an airplane and go to. But if you've been born again, You've been regenerated. You know it can be true. Just like as you look at your neighbor, you know it's true. There's something weird that happens when people connect beyond just sitting next to one another in a chair, or standing out in a storm and you feel the wind You Can't see it. Can't bottle it. Can't see the beginning of it or see the end of it. But it's really there. And so really, ultimately, because of this mystery, it shouldn't we, you know, I, I think that probably if you and I were to tell somebody about the kingdom of God, if you and I as believers went to somebody and told them about the kingdom of God, they would be like, what are you talking about? To be born again to go where? And they'd probably, probably react much, like Nicodemus did. You know, Jesus is surprised with him because he knows me, Nicodemus, and he knows that he's a teacher, and he knows that he's the ruler of the church. The reality is, it's very likely if you and I had grown up in a culture that uses this phrase all the time, if you had heard "you have to be born again," do you think? Got to do what? And so, it is a word of God. It is the greatest thing we we need, and it is something that's extremely mysterious. And rather than trying trying to quantify or qualify it. We do need to have an understanding of it. But don't put it into a box that fits only your perspective. And and, then it takes away from God's majesty and glory. And then as you share, and as you talk about this experience that you're having as a believer, be ready to explain. Be ready to talk about the things that are happening in your life. Go beyond the prescription for salvation. Talk about the regeneration that happens the being born again and being changed made do. The greatest thing you need, the most mysterious thing to explain, but it is the beginning of our salvation. In our religious culture, we build everything based on what it looks like. How put together. You know, we're all about numbers and churches, and we're we're all about uh, presentations. And I've heard over and over, and, and not over and over. I've, I've heard several times since it happened last week. <laughs> See, who put a plan for that? Jackson started off a song last week, and he's beating himself up ever since. And it was a little off-key, but you know what? The words, there was a lot of key enough that The words were just as real and just as true, but because of who we are, we, we get caught up on presentations, and we get caught up on, on the particulars of events. And we do the same thing with salvation. Your salvation is not based on what you've done. Your salvation is not based on what you can do. Your salvation is built on and created by and, and, and made to happen by an eternal and perfect and holy and just and righteous God who loves you so much. Much that he didn't want to leave you in your sin, so he reached down out of heaven and he made this amazing thing happen. And someone who's been dead since the moment that they took their first breath of air, he gave them life. You see why it's so important that you start on something as, as technical and and textbook as a of regeneration with the understanding of how awesome and amazing and special power God is. You see, because if you only ever deal with the textbook, you miss something so special. You miss His grace. That's something you can earn. That's something you can, can can be worthy of. It's something that He So, what I want you to take home tonight, I want you to examine your own life. It's so easy to sit through a lesson and think about how things might apply to somebody else, or how things might work out in somebody else's life, or think about this friend that you have. That boy, they don't really act like Christians should. Or they, they really, they really don't measure up to my view of a Christian. Or man, they don't, they don't really act like they've been born again. That's not what these lessons are about. These lessons aren't for you to look at other people. These lessons are to challenge you and where you're at. So I want you to stop and I want you to just bow your heads. And I'm I'm going to try and take a lesson that wasn't maybe extremely exciting and and extremely a moving. and I want to just try to be it very personal. I want you to stop. I want you to think about this. What am I basing my salvation on? Are you holding on to a prayer you said as a kid? Are you following some written book of rules that make you feel worthy to stand before this amazing God? I want you to cry out to Him and I want you to beg Him if you're not. I want you to beg Him to give you life. To think about this that as you accept His grace in this thought and in this moment and, and you come to this place, the, I pray that you come to this place that you are resting in His grace that you realize that as it becomes real it should be flowing out the actions of your life See, this is a a tough place to be. Because you should, as someone who's been made alive, look very different. There should be things that that aren't present in your life that may be present in someone who's not. Then say, I want you to humble yourself before him, and I want you to give yourself to him. I want you to be desperate for His Spirit. I want you to cry out for His Spirit to be in you, to give you His power, because ultimately, He does the work, but He's called you to share the story. And He didn't say, go to those people I'm going going to regenerate. He didn't say, go to those people that I'm going to, to give life. He said, go and make disciples. And that's the call that you have for your life. You don't know who they are. You won't know who they are until you begin to see the work be growing out of them. Seeing the fruit of that work be growing out of them. But when he called and told his disciples there in Bethlehem or on that mountaintop, I just before he ascended. And he told them, hey, you're going to go and you're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to tell this story. He said one thing. He said wait until the coming of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to beg for the Holy Spirit to just fill you up. To be on you it's so, so heavy and, and in such power that you are immersed in Him. So that as you walk into the world, that you shine like a bright, bright light. Because remember, not your charisma. It's not your special plan of salvation. It's not the rules that you can give a person to follow. They're going to bring them life. That's the work of the Spirit. Dearly, okay. Father, I do thank you for this time. I pray about it as we think about the Gospel. When we think about how it impacts our lives that we not forget too soon that we wouldn't have life had you not worked in us first. Father, as we confess and we repent and, 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 and as we give our lives over to you, Father, we do that in response to what you've done us already. And we thank you for what you've done us already. And we thank you for what you're going to continue to do in us and how you're going to change us and how you're going to make us alive. Thank you for your son. Jesus, we thank you for giving your life for us. You are amazing. We do want to worship you. There's things in our life that, as we move forward, not just individually, but as a church, there's things in our life that hinder us, that that slow us down from from living out that thing that you have for for us in the future. I pray God, she pointed out now that it might be dealt with, that we might be able to stand and and, and be bold in our witness. Because we don't have anything to hide. Because we're trusting in your grace. I pray God that if there is, is one here tonight that has held on to some prayer that they said as a kid. <laughs> That you'll remind them that that's your work. And that their praise and their honor and their glory all belongs to you. We love you. We thank you. Just always to out in Jesus' name.